The following Dharma talk was presented at Common Ground Meditation Center in Minneapolis, Minnesota, as part of the weekly Dharma series. The speaker is Mark Nunberg, guiding teacher at Common Ground. So it's nice to be back and really appreciative of all the people who taught when I was out of town on retreat. And I thought maybe I'd talk a little bit about retreating and just that it's really a central part, you know, when you read the suttas, the discourses of the Buddha, and often they're being spoken to other nuns and monks, other people who are sort of living a life of being on retreat. You know, here as lay people, it's a big move to leave behind the cat and dog and kids and jobs and partners and obligations and and passions that we have about making the world a better place or whatever that might be, putting all of that down getting the money together or whatever else we need to get together and a place to go to, right? Get our cushions and our meditation shawls and the right clothes and, you know, that don't bind when we're sitting. And I mean, it's a lot to get all that together, that tea that works for us. and <laughs> So it's a big, you know, it's a big ordeal and it's it can feel a little almost cultish when you're, hang out at a place like Common Ground and especially talk to some of the old timers because it's always about like their latest retreat, you know, or their next retreat. And it can feel, and people have joked that insight meditation or Vipassana meditation centers, it's, there's sort of a cult of retreats, going on retreat. We make big deals about it. And I know it can be a little bit off, that attachment to going on retreat. But there's also something about seclusion, right? And not just physically secluding ourselves, going off to a cabin or a retreat center, even just like sitting in the morning, just like what we finished doing during that time. Now, of course, our mind didn't let go of all of our duties and responsibilities. I'm sure your mind, like my mind, picked up stuff, right? Worries and hopes and things from the past, things about the future. But we understood, the mind to some degree understood that this 30 minutes was really a time to put that down and therefore for the mind to retreat from its duties and responsibilities as a human being. It's to-do lists, it's responsibilities as a parent, a partner, a citizen that cares about suffering and injustice. To put all of that down so that we can use the mind for another purpose. Because normally our mind, the knowing mind, goes out into the world through the senses, what it sees, what it thinks, what it hears, what it touches, smells and tastes. And it's interacting with those sense objects, those sense experiences, the external contact we have with the world. And in Buddhism, we think of thoughts, that, that part of the mind that's thinking, We think of thoughts in a way, the contact with thoughts, not so differently than the contact with sights, contact with sounds, contact with touch, contact with smell and taste. It's just another way of engaging the world, right? One of the six ways, the five physical senses, and then contact with thought, with mental activity. And we retreat, so the mind retreats even from most, especially the grosser 
thoughts, denser thoughts, it retreats from that. It retreats sort of, you could say, into the mind, the space of the mind itself, the space of the knowing mind itself. And it has a vacation from being a human being in the sense of a human being with duties and responsibilities and hopes and passions and fears and regrets and resentments and you know all of those things that are swirling in our mind and heart and body, all that unfinished business, unresolved stuff, we retreat from it because <coughs> something happens. This is why it becomes a, a little cultish. It's very powerful when we do that retreating. It changes us. And so, uh, you know, it's so important as busy lay people to, as we get, as these teachings make sense to us, to walk our talk by setting aside some time, even if it's just seven minutes before we go to bed at night or seven minutes when we get up in the morning, where we've got a chair in some corner of the living room, it's not too cluttered, and before we get swept into the day, into all of our duties and responsibilities, we sit down and we practice being a human being, having a mind and body, but retreating from that whole realm, that whole world of duties and responsibilities. We're taking awareness and we're turning the awareness toward the mind, toward the heart itself. The space You could say the space of the mind, the space of the heart. And you you can use that word space of the mind, space of the heart, to oppose it, to be a contrast from the activity of the mind, right? Like the thoughts. Because we're not retreating so we can think more, right? I mean, thinking's going to happen, and don't get neurotic about stopping the thinking because that doesn't help. But we're not retreating in order to think. We're retreating to the space where thoughts arise, but also sounds arise in that space, sights, sounds, sights, touches, smells, tastes, thoughts. But we're not retreating in order to get enmeshed or to look at all of that activity of the mind and body, but to look at the space itself. So that's why it can be useful to think of the mind in terms of two things, the space of the mind, the space of knowing, versus the activity of the mind you know, the movement of emotion, the movement of thought. And of course, they're all happening in the same place. So I'm not saying like the activities over here and then the, it's all one here, right? There's only, the present moment is only one thing, this, right? So the activity of the mind and body and the space of knowing that activity of the mind and body, all of that can only be one place, here and now, right? That's actually an insight, because we tend to think, even though it's not actually true, that they're like these different locations for different parts of who I am. But there's only this. And this is changing, right? It's, a, it's in process, it's changing all the time. But, it, but in terms of our subjective experience, there's a kind of unity when we check, like you can check right now to your experience. Like your life, in terms of your thoughts about it, might seem quite complex and diverse. But your direct 
this at this moment your direct subjective subjective experience of your life is quite unified it's just this there's nothing outside of this right you know it seems like your life is more than just this but that's a thought arising right here in the middle of this right that like no no there's a lot more to me than just this but that's here right here now right that sense that there's more that it's more complex or there's so there's a <clears throat> there's something about retreating we come into a space where we're a, kind of a rank beginner right and so one of the um, telltale signs of doing this retreating, whether you're kind of going on a formal weekend retreat or nine-day retreat, or I just came back from a month-long retreat, or just having your morning sit, or just having a little reflective time sitting on a bench in the park. You know, it doesn't really matter. We want to take advantage of any moment that's suitable for this retreating. And one of the telltale signs of the retreating is it feels quite alive, right? Being a rank beginner, the mind wakes up. It's like it knows it's in new territory, territory that it, it doesn't have like a theory. <laughs> that Because that, the theory, the idea of what I am, who I am, will never be the direct immediate experiencing of the mind. And so one of the first, like I just mentioned, the telltale signs of that experiencing of the mind, the space of the mind, the space of knowing, is that sense of unity, sense of wholeness, stability, settledness, and the clarity that comes from that. And the activity of the body and mind, you know, the activity of thought, the activity of sensation. Remember, body we generally include the five physical senses, so the activity of sight and sound and touch, smell and taste, that's body, activity of the mind, thought, emotion, right? It's seen differently from this place of the space of the mind, the space of knowing, right? Like, it becomes very obvious that the body is changing, sensations come and go, Sights come and go, sounds come and go, thoughts come and go, emotions come and go. The process or changing nature of the body and the mind become very apparent from that, with that contrast of being settled in the knowing mind. Of course, the knowing mind itself is changing too because it's knowing this, it's knowing that. But it has this flavor of stability that's very distinct. And it's really the essential place that allows a deeper learning, you could say a spiritual learning. Here in this tradition, we call it insight. Right? And it's such a central part of what we're doing at a place like Common Ground that we even, you know, this whole, in the West at least, we refer to this style of Buddhist practice as insight meditation, or the Pali word is vipassana, vipassana meditation. But it really comes out of the of what is now called early Buddhism, right? The part of Buddhism that's really trying to get back to this person that lived 2,500 years ago and what he came to understand about his mind and what he taught. Theravada Buddhism, sometimes it's referred to. But this early Buddhism, it's really about setting up practices that allow the mind 
to retreat from its usual entangled relationship with experience, taking experience personally, and therefore personally reacting to experience. And the, the basic way, and this is kind of good to memorize, is we react to pleasant, we all know this, right? we react to pleasant experience, whether it's a mental or a physical pleasant experience, with liking and wanting and holding, right? And we relate to unpleasant experience with aversion, right? Pushing it away, retreating, you know, uh, um, closing down because we're afraid of it. And this one where we tend to be less aware of, we, the mind, the habits of the mind react to neutral experience. And remember, most of our experience of the body and mind is neutral by ignoring it because it doesn't seem relevant because it's neutral. So basically we ignore, who knows, you know, 80%, maybe more, of experience because the initial perception is this is neutral, not important. You know? And the only thing that really catches the attention is if it's pleasant or unpleasant. And not even kind of pleasant or kind of unpleasant because we tend to ignore that stuff too. And we get to this place where we're an intensity junkie, where we're always looking for something that's intensely pleasant or intensely unpleasant in order to get rid of it or protect yourself from it. And we ignore everything else in life. So one of the great advantages of this stabilizing of the mind, this sort of understanding the space of knowing, space of mindful awareness, and get and sort of developing that as an important value, maybe the most important value in our life to keep coming back. So not just in our sits or when we're on retreat, but we do our daily sit, go on retreat from time to time, so that it can become more of a ongoing thing that we're practicing during the day, like little moments where we come back to that stability of mind, that simple, clear presence, where the mind knows that it's knowing. That's a good definition of mindful awareness. It's not just knowing, because you know we're conscious all the time we're awake, but we're not aware that the, of what the mind is aware of. So when we say mindful awareness, we mean the mind is aware that it's aware. Like right now, you've been seeing, most of you have had your eyes open, right? But were you aware that seeing was happening? Now maybe, because I've just said something, you're aware, oh yeah, seeing is happening. But the seeing was happening before, but we weren't aware. Because our habit, you know, same with hearing, same with the touches. Your body has been touching the chair or the cushion all morning long. Not that often has there been an awareness that touching is like this, touching is happening, touching is being known, right? So that's a sort of a different mental muscle that we're bringing online, that awareness of being sensitive, sensitive to the body and mind, sensitive to the five physical senses and sensitive to the activity of the mind. These are the six things we can be sensitive to, nothing else. If there is anything else, just put it into one of these six categories because it will fit into one of these six categories. Anything you're sensitive to, anything you experience, falls into one of these six things. Of course, mental activity is a big category. But it's because most of our reality is constructed with concept. 
with thought, mental images and thought, right? So we're sensitive in these six ways and we can learn to be aware that the mind is knowing. Right? But that's why we go on retreat, that's why we sit down and meditate every day if we can, even if it's just for a few minutes, because that formal time, right, where we've created more suitable conditions like the cell phone is off, the dog's in the other room, the kids know to leave me alone, things like that, radio's off. Those more simple conditions make it a little bit easier. And like I did with the guided meditation at the beginning this morning, it's really true that one of the biggest mistakes, I'm not sure if that's the best word, but problems for meditators is they sit down and they immediately from their ordinary kind of neurotic frame try to meditate. But it's it's better to let all of that neurotic doing and controlling die. So that's why I said don't start your sit by trying to meditate. Start your sit by just taking care of the body, finding as best you can some natural ease in the body. Really express that attentive, compassionate presence with your body. Take care of it. And then once it's, you've done the best you can do for the body, establishing an upright, relaxed posture, then let the mind rest with the body, with the ease in the body. So just invite that integration, okay? Because in a way, you know, the, the mind is tethered to the body. So we take care of the body and it creates a nice resting place for the mind. When the body's hurting or not being taken care of, then the mind's going to be agitated. But when the body's, being, you know, as best we can, being taken care of, then we say, okay, now you can inhabit this body. You can be with this body. Because that's what the mind does. It feels the body. It knows the body. And it, you rest it in the body. And then we notice in the relative ease of the body and mind, we naturally can notice that reflective knowing, right? It's like the wisdom we could say in the mind realizes, oh, this is being known. I mean, before that moment, the mind, the body was already being, you know, there was already sensitivity there, but there wasn't the awareness that this is an experience being known. So we really are letting mindfulness emerge from the relaxation instead of me trying to be mindful of the breath or me trying to be mindful of the body or me trying to be mindful of hearing. We realize that that's a natural capacity of the mind to be reflectively aware to be aware that this is being known, to be aware that the mind is sensitive to the body and mind in this way at this time. That just comes online when things are settled and relaxed enough. And then the next step in practice is to sustain that simple reflective knowing, mindful awareness, to sustain it until the mind gets caught up again. So it may be a few seconds, maybe a half a minute if you're, got a good spell of continuity of awareness, but eventually some object of experience, right? some sound, some thought, some sight, some touch or sensation will arise and the mind, instead of knowing, oh yeah, this is just something being known, 
the mind will take it personally and begin to proliferate, think about it. But it won't be aware that it's proliferating, thinking about it, right? So it loses the continuity of mindful awareness and we're back into our ordinary, what in Buddhism we'd call deluded state. A deluded state means we're a living, breathing human being, but we're not mindfully aware that it's like this. That's called delusion. Because when I'm just an ordinary, deluded human being, I think I know, but what I think I know is my idea about what's happening, not that direct, immediate knowing. It's just the activity of the body, activity of the mind being known. I've lost that. So in Buddhism we say, you know, it's that's delusion. To be caught in our thoughts about things, identified with our thoughts about things, is delusion. That's what, I mean, one definition of delusion. But that's okay because generally when we're caught up in our thoughts about things, event, things get tight and stressful. Even if initially it's kind of juicy or pleasant, whatever we're thinking about and lost in, eventually it gets tight. And it's a little bit like an alarm clock, you know. The tightness, if we have some momentum in our practice, wakes up the mind, wakes up the wisdom in the mind, like, why is the mind tight? Why is the body and the mind so tight? Why does everything feel so tight or so heavy? And the mind gets curious. And the important thing at this point is not to try to meditate, (laughs) right? Or not to try to be mindful, but to relax. That's the important thing. When, you, when a mindfulness, wisdom comes back online, and the important thing is to relax because we have to begin to uproot the idea that I have to do the practice. In a sense, what we're doing is we're creating the conditions for mindful awareness to reemerge and for the continuity of that mindful awareness. But we're not actually doing the awareness. Like, look right now at your mind. Do you personally have to do the awareness? Like, do you personally have to hear Mark, the voice, comprehend the words that you're hearing? Or does that just happen? It just happens, doesn't it? You didn't have to, like, try to catch the sound of the clap. The hearing just happened. So we have this wrong idea that wisdom, being wise, deepening of understanding, clarifying what's going on, is something that I do, that somebody does. It happens for sure. There is this process of the deepening of understanding or the growing of wisdom, the development of insight. But it isn't correct to presume that you have to do that or I have to do that. It actually clogs up the system. It's counterproductive. So right from the beginning, although it's subtle and not so easily understood, we have to begin to at least with a little confidence or a little faith have this idea that whatever we're doing, we're kind of it's like a garden where we're cultivating a natural process. Not something I, I'm going to do, but something the potential is already built into the system of the mind. And so we're, by being less distracted, 
by valuing relaxation and presence, present moment awareness, we're sort of allowing this natural process we call mindful awareness and the development of wisdom or the deepening of understanding to happen. It's just, in a sense, waiting to happen in the same way a seed is just waiting to sprout. It's like everything that's needed is there. Accept it, you know, accept distractedness, the mind being caught, is the one thing that will keep that natural process from developing. As long as our mind is identified, attached, caught up in its own projections, its own mental constructions, our ideas about things, as long as my mind is absorbed into that activity, mental proliferation, then wisdom, mindful awareness can't grow and develop momentum. But every time we come back, even if the mind is only back for a few seconds, a few seconds of mindful awareness, where the mind, remember the definition? The mind knows that this is being known. Some things are good to memorize, like to be able to answer your question. So what is mindful awareness? What's What's the sort of basic training we're doing? It's mindful awareness, but what is that? And it'd be good for us to be able to say, yeah, that's those moments. Remember those moments when the mind knows that this is happening, knows that this is being experienced? That's mindfulness. Where the mind knows that this is being known. So, and there's an essential ingredient that allows for mindfulness, those moments of mindfulness and for that momentum to build, which is non-distraction. And that's where, where relaxation comes in because relaxation, right, there's a certain, right, with, because we know something, all of us know something about relaxing. We certainly know something about not being relaxed. So that not of that, <laughs> not, not being tight, right? There's something built into relaxing like contentment, which is, in a, for a moment at least, not needing to mentally proliferate kind of figure something out, go do something, right? So that's why, it, even though it's such a simple thing, it seems so silly to have to remind herself that it's okay to relax, but it really sets in motion the deepest and most transforming process. It's like the first essential ingredient is the willingness to relax. And the real uh, uh, expression of delusion and suffering is the mistrust of relaxing. It's like, I can't relax, right? And it's so interesting because there really is a lot in the world that's off, a lot of suffering, a lot of injustice, a lot that needs our attention, whether it's the newborn or we have a health issue or we care about racial injustice or whatever it might be. But we have to understand that even though the world is the way that it is, imperfect, and asking for our engagement, it's still skillful, appropriate to relax and to value relaxation and putting it all down. It's the only way to actually address the problems in this world is to gain skill in putting it all down. 
because that will transform who we are. It will transform our heart so that when we do engage, and it's not like we retreat forever or for 50 years and then we'll engage later. No, it's like we have moments of dropping, relaxing, letting go, putting it all down. And then we have, could be two seconds later where we're engaging and then dropping. It's just that as a formal training, you know, we might set aside 30 minutes in the morning or we might set aside a couple weekends a year to go on retreat or a couple days or some of you are more into it a couple months even because that just changes the rest of our life when we're mostly engaging. We're just a different human being. We're fearless. And we see the, the roots of how things have come to be. We know how suffering, how injustice, how ignorance comes to be because having dropped, having relaxed, having built the momentum of mindful awareness, we really see the roots of things. In Buddhism, we might see the sort of karmic roots, how this has come to be, how injustice has come to be, how ignorance moves, fear moves, greed moves, and makes things the way that they are. It's only then that we really know how to respond, whether we're talking about a particular relationship we have with our partner or a particular relationship we have with a group of people, an organization, or the wider world and the injustice and violence in the wider world. So I'll leave it here. It'd be nice to hear your questions or your comments from your own practice, what you've been learning in regards to what I said today. Hey, you want to start us off, Dan? You want to pass the mic? Yeah, thanks. Uh, thanks, Mark. Um, you know, when we're um, at work or doing something and we just want to become aware, we're just, do you, is there um, an advantage to, on the granularity of awareness? So for example, if I'm cooking and I just say, oh, and I just want to be aware, is it fine to just say I'm cooking or I'm stirring? Uh, you know, and the reason why I ask is, is, is like I can get caught up in either direction. I kind of think, oh, the more granular I get, the better I'm doing. But I don't think that's necessarily the case. I, get, I do get caught up with that. So I'm just trying to find that middle ground where, you know, I'm, I'm at work working, I'm analyzing. You know, I think you get the idea. Yeah, yeah, and it's a, it's a really important question because a lot that's out there in popular mindfulness, you know, which is really becoming a big deal, is, as Dan expressed, this sort of granular, granular looking at experience, you know, where we're touching something and we're kind of like, uh, um, we're collecting the attention just into the experience and so, oh, this wood is so smooth. Or, you know, the, the display of color of people's clothing. is, And we kind of get a little high, a little bit uh, um, enlivened by the intensity of ordinary experience. But it's intense because of the quality of attention, right? The sort of non-distractedness of it. And everything kind of comes alive. Touches, sounds, smells, tastes, thoughts. In Buddhism, sometimes we call it creativity attacks. Like you'll be sitting and your mind will start to settle and then some thoughts will come up, renovating your kitchen or solving some problem in your life. And it will seem so profound because the mind is more collected, it's more unified, 
And so it does the thinking with more power. It does the seeing with more power. It does the hearing with more power. So the experience seems more intense, more alive, more real in a way, like we're on drugs in a way. And it's kind of a side effect of mindfulness and it can be a real distraction in the practice because it is useful, like a, a more formal example of what Dan would be saying is like when you sit down, you know, maybe I'll bring my attention right to the tip of the nose and I'll get really into the touching sensation as the breath comes in and the touching sensation as the breath goes out. You know, and I'll feel every nuance of that touching as the breath comes in and the touching as the breath goes out. That is what we would call in Buddhism a skillful means. Like if my mind really wants to proliferate about some problem or some resentment in my life, So I give it instead something else to do. No, no, honey. Really notice the touching as you breathe in. Really notice the touching as you breathe out. So I'm skillfully using that experience in order to let go of the world, of my resentments, the world of my hopes, like all the other ways my mind would be proliferating. It's the same thing with washing the dishes. To really get into the touching and the warmth of the water and the bubbles of the suds and the could be a really skillful means to put everything else down, right? But ultimately, we want to notice the space of the mind, not to get constantly absorbed into objects of experience. We want to know that knowing is happening because it's from that sort of more settled back place that we can notice what are the roots of suffering, what are the roots of freedom, not being absorbed into the granular level of experience. As nice as that can be, right? It's a it's sort of fun to do that. Like to go on a hike and to just notice, you know, this is why people like becoming bird people, you know, where they know every bird. It's it's like an absorption technique. You know, I know so much about birds. I know that sound, I know that movement, I know that mating behavior or whatever it is. And these are relatively wholesome absorptions that keeps the mind out of negative territory. So they have a real place in practice, but not an end, you know, not something to end with. I notice the children are here, so we need to let go. This talk, like all programs at Common Ground, is offered freely in the spirit of generosity. To learn more about Common Ground and its programs, or if you would like to donate, please visit our website, www.commongroundmeditation.org Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.